All right, well, let me begin by uh, inviting you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We'll uh, remind you about a passage that we looked at a couple times now in this class. And uh, from this and other passages, we drew out um, explicit teachings and principles about what a man's responsibility is toward women in general and toward his wife specifically. And I think this definition will help us in both of those those ways. Let me read the definition here, then we'll read this passage, and then we'll break the definition down. Definition here, the, the top of your handout, the essence of biblical masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. All right, so we'll talk about that over the next two weeks, this week and next week, about what that means. We'll break down each part of it. So let me uh, just read verses 15 to 24 of Genesis 2, just so that we can be reminded about the establishment of authority and leadership of a man over a woman. Verse 15, Then the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One of the other things that uh, I didn't mention last time was that in this passage, uh, who, who was given the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Remember that the, the woman wasn't even created at this point. And so it makes sense that when the curses come down, when, when God comes to bring down judgment, he seeks out the man because he was the one that was given the command not to eat it. Does that mean that she was... Um, she was allowed to eat it? No, that's not what it means. It just means that he had the responsibility of ruling over her, of telling her, of leading her not to do that, to obey God. And uh, the fact that she sinned first doesn't matter as much because um, uh, the man takes responsibility because he has the responsibility of authority and leadership over her. Well, today we want to unpack the core elements of this definition phrase by phrase. So let's start with the first phrase there. It is a sense of benevolent responsibility. We're going to take this first one here, a sense of. A sense of. Now this may sound a little bit vague. You know, why, why are we breaking down this part? But the idea here is that in order to be biblically masculine, a 
must not only be responsible, but he also must acknowledge his responsibility. So, for example, let's just try to take a really extreme example of, a, of an extremely wealthy man who treats women like objects. Okay? He's extremely wealthy, and he provides for the woman. He provides for the rest of his family, let's say, but he doesn't have a sense of it. He, he doesn't acknowledge his responsibility uh, in, in a way that's helpful to the woman. He actually treats her uh, in a demeaning way. He, um, he doesn't fulfill his God-given responsibility of, of leading and protecting and providing for. It's simply just another thing that's taking place in his life. So that, that's why there's a sense of here. Now, on the other hand, a sense of can also mean that he can be fully masculine, and this speaks to Jared's question last week, he can be fully masculine even when his circumstances are such that he's not able to regularly act on that sense of responsibility to particular women. Okay, so for example, if a man is out in combat, several of you have gone out into battle, right, and you're out in, in on the battlefield or, or out at sea, and you didn't have any women around you, okay, can you still be masculine at that point? Can you still have a sense of, or, or can you still have a responsibility toward women, women to provide for them and to, to, um, to protect them and so on? Absolutely. Okay, so even if there are no specific relationships with women at a given period of time for a man, he can still be biblically masculine. Um, and so what does that look like? Okay, let's, let's just take somebody that has a job that puts them in a remote place or they're they're in the service or something like that, uh, what does that look like if they have a sense of, of their responsibility over women, their, their resp- responsibility for women? Well, it, it will affect how a man thinks about a woman, right? It, it'll affect how he, he talks about her, whether he is uh, engaging in pornography, right? Treating the woman like an object. Or, or um, the kind of things he has to say about marriage or about women in general. Okay, so just because a man is not localized around women doesn't mean he can't be masculine. Okay, does that make sense? That's why we say a, a sense of responsibility. It also means that a man can be biblically uh, masculine as a husband, even when he's not physically able to do the things that he's required to do, that is, to provide for and to protect. Okay, so if, you know, you have someone like Christopher Reeves, or let, let's take a, a Christian who are in a similar situation, who's paralyzed, a Christian man, could he still be biblically masculine, even though he's not physically able to get up and protect his family, to get up and provide for his family? Can he still be biblically masculine? And what we're saying is, yes, he can if he has that sense of responsibility, that sense of leadership, that sense of authority, that sense of care for for his for women in general, but for his wife in, in particular. Okay, so that means that if a man has a debilitating disease or, um, you know, uh, that may, may mean that the, the wife has to be the breadwinner in the family. Okay, I'm sure you can think of examples where this is the case. Now, we need to be 
clear here that this is not normal, and this should not feel right necessarily. Okay, it, should, it will be extremely hard on the woman to, to provide for the family. It will be hard on the man to to not be able to, to provide for the family. But if he he maintains a sense of his own benevolent responsibility under God, then one thing he will not do is lose his masculinity because his uh, sense of responsibility is going to be seen in the way that he treats his wife, treats his women, treats his family. Um, instead of, you know, resorting to self-pity or giving up or that sort of thing. God obviously can still use a man like that who has been disabled physically. Okay, but I wanted to put that out there as, as an example that's not the norm for a woman to provide for the man. The man is to provide for the woman. The man is to protect the woman. But there are cases where he, he can be on the receiving end of that and still be masculine. That's why we say sense of. So we wanted to just summarize that, what a sense of means. It's a conscious, biblical understanding of what his role is. And that's why we put that in there. Case, you know, we don't want to say, well, only if you do actually provide for your, your spouse or, or only if you do actually protect her, then you are masculine. But, but actually, a biblical man, a biblical masculine person is one who has a sense of his responsibility. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? Alright, next, benevolent. Benevolent. Okay, this is a word that's used to try to capture the idea of what we talked about last week with Luke 22, servant leadership. Benevolent is characterized or expressing goodwill, desiring to help others, intended for the benefit others of others rather than personal profit. Okay, so benevolent sets me aside and it puts the other person as, as more important than myself, as the scriptures often talk. That's what it means to be benevolent. The responsibility to, to move away from all the proud authoritarianism. Like, I am it. I am king in my house. You will listen to me. Or I am king in the church. I am king in, in my workplace. Or whatever it may be. Okay, it, it's meant out to rule. It, it's meant to, to get rid of all condescension. Which means to talk down to people. Alright. Uh, so, um, so it, it has to do with, with a man's responsibility to be loving in the way that he, that he leads, okay? that he is a servant. And uh, that, that leads us to our next one, that is responsibility. I'm sorry, I missed a blank there for you. Intended for the benefit of others rather than personal profit. The benefit of others rather than personal profit. Responsibility. Okay, so what does this have to do? Remember, when we were going through these texts, we saw that man had a responsibility. Genesis 2, 15-24, before the woman was there, he was given all these responsibilities to lead and to rule, to name her when she actually was created, and so on, and to be the one who was leading in spiritual things. He was supposed to be doing that. Um, he was supposed to be doing, doing it with care, 1 Timothy 5, 1-4. 
It is responsibility. It's not something that he earned. Remember, the man and the woman is, are no different with regard to work before God. No one of them is made more into the image of God than the other. They're made equally before God. They are. They have the same worth before God. But there are differences in roles, differences, differences in function, and um, and this is not something that's earned. It's a God-given trust. So that means that, that men don't have to go around trying to uh, enforce their rule or, or be egotistical about their position. They didn't earn anything. And we didn't earn anything. It, it was God who entrusted us with our responsibility to lead uh, the women in our lives. Um, and so that means that, that this is not something that, that should be felt as a laborious task. Like, I don't want to do this. It's, the word responsibility implies that man will be uniquely called to his leadership, his position, in, in order to protect and to relate to women rightly. Uh, just like Adam did with Eve. And, and um, because man has responsibility, this does not mean that women, that women do not have responsibility to, to do what is right before God. Okay, so just because God was the one who told Adam, you must not eat of the tree, that doesn't mean that Eve was innocent when she sinned, when she disobeyed that rule, right? That, that doesn't mean that she has no responsibility. It means that man bears the unique and the primary responsibility for the state of the creation that he is called to rule over. So that when there is a problem in the church, when there is a problem in the home, when there is a, a problem in society in general, the, the primary responsibility, not the only, you need to understand that, the primary responsibility is with the man. Because he was called to rule in those areas of life. Alright, so benevolent responsibility, a sense of uh, benevolent responsibility. Here's really where the, the heart of the definition comes, and that is to lead. This is where we'll finish up for today. We'll take some time to do that, but but to leave. That the man has a responsibility to leave, or a loving responsibility to leave. And then we'll pick up the rest of the de- definition next week. Um, all right. So, male has, men have a headship over women. See that in Genesis chapter 2. See that in chapter 5. But we need to figure out what that means. Because when it comes to our understanding of what it means for a man to lead and our experience of how men have led in our lives or how uh, we have led as men, then, then we come up with all sorts of different ideas. So what we need to, uh, to do here is try to narrow down what it means to lead biblically. What, what is biblical masculine leadership? Okay, so let me give you um, some clarifying statements about what it means to be a biblical masculine leader. Number one, biblical masculinity expresses itself not in the demand to be served, we talked about, talked about this earlier, but in the strength to serve and to sacrifice for the good of the woman. Not in the demand to be served. 
Right? If the greatest leader is served by the most people, that's what uh, secular society has said for ages. The greatest leader is the one who is served by the most people. If that is true, then what does that say of Jesus' ministry on the earth? He must not have been that good of a leader, was he? Because what did he say he came to do? I did not come to what? I did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. So, so if we define leadership as those who have the most servants, then Jesus wasn't a good leader on the, on the earth. But what we understand from Jesus' life is that there's more to leadership, or there's actually something different to leadership than what the world says. And Jesus said this in Luke 22. We saw this last week. Let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. So leadership doesn't have a demanding demeanor. It's an attitude that, it's an attitude that moves toward a goal. All right? And if the goal is godliness for the recipient, then that means that, that men are going to have to get down on their knees on several occasions and walk to someone else's feet. Okay? That means we're going to have to actually get dirty and, and serve. And I'm not just talking about you know other men or you know I'm talking about women. That we need to if we want to be godly leaders, masculine leaders, we need to be the greatest. So, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just uh, show you what Paul says here. Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 23. Okay, because here, Paul is talking about what it looks like for a husband to be a leader over his wife. And here's what he says in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, Okay, he has a benevolent responsibility over her to lead, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Immediately after that, or, or skip to verse 24, go to verse 25, what does Paul say? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and did what? He gave himself up for her. And what was the purpose of Christ giving himself up for the church? What does verse 26 tell us? To what? So that they would be what? So that they would be sanctified. They would be made holy. Alright, so Jesus served, or Jesus led his church in a way that would lead them toward holiness. And the picture here for a man to a woman is this. You're going to lead your wife, and then if we're going to lead women in general, whether it be in the church or in our workplace in the world, we need to lead them to a place of holiness. Because that's the ultimate expression of our headship over them. That's the ultimate expression of our love, our benevolent responsibility to lead them, and it's to lead them to holiness. And uh, so that means that, that when we lead, that we're going to have this because there's a sense in which we need to be the ones, you know, making other people serve or leading them to service. Would be a better way to put it. 
flesh, that, that she is pictured as part of his body. And, and who, as a husband, is ever not taking care of his own body? Or, or as a man, I should say. He, he, he doesn't, but he cares for it. No one's ever hated themselves, Paul says in other places. And so women are to be treated as as uh, we would... are 
couple more points here. We need to keep moving here. Number three, biblical masculinity does not have to initiate every action that kind of speaks to the last point, but feels the responsibility to provide a general pattern of initiative or a general pattern of oversight. Okay, so that means that in a family setting, the husband should, does not need to or should not do all the thinking and planning, but he is to take overall responsibility for it. Okay, and care, help uh, lead his wife and his family to spiritual maturity. That is, that he has the responsibility for general oversight over his family to, to be led to spiritual maturity. And so there will be many times uh, where it is completely appropriate for the wife to plan and initiate. Notice the definition there. He does not have to initiate every action. So there will be times when it will be appropriate for the wife or the woman to initiate and run numerous things within the house and the family. But the general tone and the pattern of initiative and the leadership with regard to where you are going as as a whole should be felt by the husband. It should be the responsibility of the husband. So that means that a husband is failing in his leadership. If the wife has to be the one that consistently initiates, you know, getting the family up and bringing them to church. Or if the wife is the one that has to consistently initiate uh, choices about where the family ought to go with regard to spiritual things. Again, we don't we don't reject all those and say you can't initiate any of those. But overall, it should be the man's responsibility to initiate that. And, and if you're not doing that, then, then you are failing. Um, because we have a general responsibility to lead in that way. So if, it's, if the children are disobedient, you know, perhaps you've already set up in your home, you know what, my wife's going to take care of all of the discipline in our house. That's, that's a problem. Okay, because you have the, the primary responsibility before God. You have the primary responsibility before God for your wife and for your children. And then in the church, we have primary responsibility for the women who are in this church. And um, one author puts it this way. Okay, you have to think about this because this is a pretty loaded state. But he says this, every problem a couple has is the husband's responsibility. Every problem a couple has is the husband's responsibility. Okay, Genesis chapter 2 again, or Genesis chapter 3, There's a problem of authority. She usurps his authority by making the decision without his without his approval, really. He's just sitting there doing nothing. But the primary responsibility fell not on her, but on him. It's not that the wife is free from all responsibility, and so, you know, you as women can just kind of sit back and go, don't worry about any of these things that I can think, because that's my husband's fault. That's not what I'm suggesting although that might preach in your home. But, but leadership means that the primary responsibility for everything that grows out of a spiritual pattern of within the home, within the church, within the workplace, within society, is on the husband. It is on the husband. And so while he doesn't have to take every action, he doesn't take, have to take every initiation uh, of action, he is responsible overall for or the direction that you are going in the family. 
right, number four. Biblical masculinity accepts the burden of the final say in disagreement, but does not presume to use it in every instance. Okay, this is really where we start to to, um, to feel some tension. In a good marriage, decision-making is generally focused on the husband, but, listen to this part, it is not unilateral. Okay, it's not unilateral. That means... It's not one-sided. It generally focuses on what the husband desires for the sake of the family, but it's not unilateral in the sense that what I say goes. Right? A good husband rather seeks the input from his wife, like we talked about before, the strength of others. He seeks the input of his wife, and same thing in the church. We don't say, you know what, you, you, you women, you, you have, might have some good ideas Um, no, we, we seek the input of those who are made in the image of God, but ultimately the husband is the one who has the final burden. He's the one who bears the responsibility. So that means may mean that he will adopt her ideas on occasion. And if he sees the scriptures properly, then he will he will recognize this because Ephesians five twenty five we saw um, or verse twenty three that the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. 25, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the uh, water with the word. Okay, so ultimately he's not seeking his own best interest, but the interest of his wife, the interest of God ultimately. But, but, but secondarily, it's the interest of his wife or the interest of another woman And uh, we also notice, know, know that this is right, that because of because of uh, Genesis chapter one verse twenty seven, that God said He would make both male and female in the image of God. That both of us are made in the image of God. And uh, also, First Peter three seven says that we are fellow heirs. We are fellow heirs with Christ. That we are equal with regard to work worth before God. One-sided leadership or one-sided um, decision-making is not usually a good mark of leadership. So that means, men, that we cannot be steamrolling our way to every decision. Okay? I don't care what you think. I'm the man and I will make the choice. Okay? Now, some of us have the other... We, we are guilty of the other extreme. We're too passive. Instead of being too authoritarian, we say, what I say, what I say, what I say must go. Then we say, you know, what do you want to do? I don't know. That sort of thing. We never are able to make decisions because we, we're too passive. So, so that's the other extreme. We don't want to move to a place, men, where we have family consensus. You know, I, Biblical leader or to biblical uh, maturity, spiritual maturity. But my wife doesn't really want to spend time in the Word after dinner, so I won't do it. Or no, my my children they are not too interested in it right now. So that's the other extreme. We don't want to move to that. That's uh, actually against 
what we're saying here because now we, we have eliminated our responsibility to lead. We just said, you know what? We're just going to kind of flow with however life takes us. That's not leadership. That's passivity. Um, so that means particularly, and, and the reason I'm constantly using the, the marriage relationship is because that's where these, remember last week I said that's where these principles are intensified. So um, while I might not make application for every area of life, I want you just to see that this is where they're intensified the most. So when it comes to husband and wife, there should be agreement in principle that the husband's decision should have weight to it. Okay? Particularly when it has to do with spiritual things. But this doesn't mean that he has veto power. Okay? Like, I'm going to, you may want to do something, but I don't care and I'm going to veto what you want to do. Okay? That's a steamrolling idea. And I would argue that actually we should when it comes to areas of preference rather than spiritual things, okay, so the color of a wall, then we should take the wife's choice over our own. That would be helpful to our to our leaders, to our servant leadership. Okay? So if if there's a spiritual conflict, if there's you know, this is the way I think we ought to go as a family and the wife says, you know what, I don't, I don't think that's where we should go. Well, ultimately, the man has final responsibility. And his, his decision will be, uh, will have, uh, will be judged one way or the other by God. And so, um, so ultimately, the man should be the one who comes out with, with his choice. And he will be responsible for that. But when it comes to, you know, what kind of car to get that doesn't involve, you know, going into a deep amount of debt. Let's say there's two equal amount of, uh, two cars that are of equal amount, and, you know, the wife says, you know, I think this would be more practical. I would say, no, I don't think so. I'd rather have, you know, my Jeep. Uh, then, then it would be wise to, to be a servant leader there, men, and, uh, and allow the woman's choice to take precedence, take preference. Um, so, so there needs to be an acknowledgement of it. And, and women, you start to see that that the most helpful thing that you can do, I'm trying to get a little ahead of myself because we haven't gotten into femininity, but the most helpful thing that you can do as a wife or as a member of the church or or whatever your role is in society is to is to support a man in his leadership to lead you spiritually. Okay, that, that's the most helpful thing you can do. And uh, it will only reduce the amount of conflict if you have a submissive spirit. We'll talk about what that means beginning next week. Oh, we're not a power. All right, well, we better get through this last point before. Our biblical masculinity recognizes that the call to leadership is a call to repentance. Alter repentance and humility and risk taking. Yeah, I, I don't have a power cord here. So. 
if you recognize that you are you are sinners by nature. Okay? I, I recognize that I'm a sinner by nature. And so in our society, both masculinity and femininity have been distorted by our sin and by our view of things. And because of that, then, then this principle here needs to transcend our lives. There is, There must be a a sense of responsibility to recognize our own sin. That we can take things too far to one extreme or to the other. I mentioned those two extremes this morning. That in our responsibility to lead, sometimes we overstep our bounds. And we become uh, dictators or authoritarian, dominating, domineering in our treatment of women. And this may not show up with your wife, maybe because... You know, you, your wife knows you and she knows how to handle you, but it may show up in the way that you talk about other women. It may show up in the way that you treat your kids. So we need to recognize that, that there is some sin that needs to be repented of constantly. And that we are not perfect in this. And then the other extreme is not domineering, but passive. That we've given up our responsibility. We we like to be able to lead when we want to. We like to be able to make the choice when it's something that we want to do. But when it comes to spiritual things, are we are we taking the taking up the flag? Are we are we leading the charge? You know, we spend so much time in front of the television, or you know, messing around with little projects, or maybe too much time at work or in recreation. And then when it's time to leave, you know, we don't have any energy left because we've given up the best of our resources, the best of our energy for all the things that we want to do and we failed in that way. Come passive. And uh, so we don't want to be domineering or patronizing or belittling, but we also don't want to be passive. Um, that means that we need to humble ourselves before God both with our past failures and our current ongoing failures. Recognize before God and speak to God honestly. Now, God, this is where I this is where I fail. This is where I fail with my wife. This is where I fail in the church. And help me in that. So the call to leadership is not men to exalt ourselves over women, but it is a call to humble ourselves and take responsibility to be all right, so next week we're going to look at that we have a responsibility not only to lead, but to provide and protect women in ways that are appropriate to the relationships that we have with them. Any questions? Comments? Great.
But, um, but you know, you look at our society in general, you look at even churches like ours in general, and the majority of people within those churches are women. Okay, that, that tells us something about our society, that tells us something about our churches, that, um, that, that men have given up on their responsibility in many cases to lead them to, to, to a place of godliness. Hopefully this cleared up a um, few things. I know we had a long discussion last week at the end about you know what what is a man's responsibility apart from women. But that's why I wanted to begin this week by a sense of responsibility that you have to have a sense of it. So hopefully that was helpful in clearing that up. But if you have further questions, we're going to continue masculinity next week, finish it up, really our definition of it, and then we'll start into biblical femininity by looking at key passages. Father, we're thankful for the example of Jesus Christ. We're thankful, most of all, for Him giving Himself for us. And uh, that was the greatest act of service a person could ever do. And, and although it looks weak to the world, it looks weak to lots of people when they look, look at it and what kind of leader lays down his life and dies. But we see it now through a biblical lens, through a spiritual lens. We see that that was the greatest act of leadership as well. And so we, uh, we recognize he will be exalted one day above every name. His name will be above every name. That's the name of Jesus every name will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of you. And we uh, pray that you would help us as men to take our responsibility seriously and always have that sense of love and care for women in general for our wives Thank you.